Uh, you're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and the way that it plays out in everyday life. In this episode, we're talking about Christianity and gender identity. And this is a huge topic in our culture. Uh, it's ubiquitous everywhere you look. Uh, people are talking about it, whether it's on social media, on the news, in academic studies. Uh, the, the issues of gender and gender identity are a huge issue for Christians to think about and talk about in our culture. So let's do it here. Welcome in to Church Unplugged. All right, welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy. I'm part of the leadership team here at CCC. I have the rest of our leadership team here, Joe Coffey, Zach Wyrock, and Stacey DiNardo. And our uh, question today is, what does the Bible say about gender and gender identity? And this is a massive conversation with our within our greater culture right now. Um, you know, it's ubiquitous. You can't get away from it, whether it's on social media, in the news, in the schools, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so we want to talk through a few things. Number one, what does God's word have to say about this issue? What, what does it have to say about our gender and our gender identity and the way that we were created? Uh, number two, how should we as Christians navigate a world that is increasingly focused on this issue? And then maybe number three is if you are somebody who's, if I'm somebody who's listening to this and I'm a Christian and I'm trying to navigate my own struggles with gender and gender identity, uh, where would we, where would we point you to, to find what the Lord has to say and what the Lord wants to do in your life? So let's start with that first one though. What, uh, what does scripture have to say in regards to this issue, the issue of gender and gender identity? Well, I think it's important to start by saying that in a church our size, it's unquestionably true that there are people who come every week who are experiencing gender dysphoria and struggling with linking up uh, w- w- the way they feel and the way and the way their body is. So um, we just first start by acknowledging that we know that's true and we know those people are there and maybe even listening to this podcast or people who love them are listening to this podcast. And the second thing is I always think coming from a Christian perspective where God made a good world and that world was broken by sin is that I don't, I'm not sure we should ever be surprised by any manifestation of brokenness. So when someone says, uh, hey, I was born a man, but I feel like a woman. I was born uh, biologically uh, a woman, but I feel like a man. I, I, I don't know that our response should ever be shock. It should certainly never be discussed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we should, when we see brokenness coming from a Christian worldview, uh, we should just kind of shake our heads yes and say, that's, you know, that's not surprising. That's in line. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about the, the Christmas song, Joy to the World, where it, it's saying, far as the curse is found, that our hope is that the gospel yeah. extends as far and farther than the curse. But the curse of sin is everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think it's right to just start with mourning and lamenting that sin somehow... Uh, and by the way, I don't mean your personal sin as much as just sin as a concept, that sin has so degraded our world yes. that there's not an area that remains untouched, including how we think about our bodies and our gender. Well, then, uh, okay, where do we go from there? How do we get to the place where uh, gender dysphoria then changed to you determine your own gender, and your gender really is how you feel? I know I read a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Zach, I think you read it yeah, too. Yeah, by Carl Truman, right? Yeah. yeah. And it seems like you know we started down this road a long time ago philosophically, trying to decide uh, how to determine what is real and what is not real. Yeah. And we ended up uh, kind of landing on a spot where people can determine what's real find their own reality. for themselves. Yeah, I know my truth kind of thing. Yeah. 
And once you're there, it's a, it's a very small step to whatever you feel yeah. is real for you. Yeah. And when we look at the Bible, that's that's not, that's not true. true. Yeah. God determines what it's is actually true. the biggest place of disagreement. That the that the biblical disagreement uh, when it comes to gender dysphoria and and kind of that whole conversation is not primarily related to gender. It's a question of objective reality, yep. objective right. truth. Right. That part of believing there's a God who who has made the world and therefore knows what works and what doesn't, what is best and what isn't, what's right and what isn't. Uh, and he lives outside of us so that if God says to me, Zach, it is it is right for you to wear blue, no matter what I think about blue, what you feel about I am forced it. Yeah. to either subjugate myself to him, like, okay, God, you're God, so I'm going to wear blue, or I'm forced to reject his authority and say... You're not my God. I mean, that, that is essentially Genesis 3, by the way. Right. God says, don't eat from the tree, you're going to die. Satan says, he's a liar, don't listen to God, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, that, and Eve has to decide who am I going to she listening. Yep. Does truth live within her or outside of her? And actually, in Genesis 3, it says she looks at the tree, sees that the fruit looks good, and is desirable to make one wise. So she has decided, I'm going to listen to myself. I know what yep. is good for me, not God. And that is functionally yeah, go, what's at stake Going here. back to your illustration, though, about wearing blue, it's, it's, a, it's a better illustration to say you're going into a combat area and somebody says, Zach, you shouldn't wear what you're wearing. You ought to wear camouflage. You would change in a heartbeat because they know what it means to be in a, in a war-torn area. You know, here we are in this broken world. Yeah. God's trying to tell us stuff, and we're going, "Yeah, well, we know I better." Think gonna, I think I'm going to wear white, you know, in yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think that is the disconnect between biblical Christianity and the greater culture. Is it's it's not really about gender or sexuality or, it or is, wanting it to is, control that or anything. Yeah, like we're that. standing in the midst of a world that is saying the individual determines for themselves what is true, what is right, and even who they are, and we are saying, "No, they don't." Right. No, God's they don't. Determine that. And actually, not only do they not, like morally, objectively, but the absolute worst world is one in which sinful people are left to determine for themselves well, what the is right. The what logical is good conclusion and who they are. of that is is absurdity. Where well, and yeah. you want oh, you watch us, we're devolving into absurdity, right? It, with, yeah. With locker rooms, with sports, with everything, because in so much knows, as you buy right. into objectivity, right, right, right. I mean, absurdity requires rationality. That's true, and That's our true. culture has foregone because it doesn't stop at gender. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It could my age, right? I'm a five year old. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. doesn't stop if you can. Feel what you want to feel, and yeah. And it's be funny because our, what our culture says at every and turn is when you when you try to introduce a slippery slope argument, right? So you know, 15 years ago when we were talking about same sex marriage, and then we were saying, well, what happens if three adults want to get married? And and people were saying, don't be ridiculous. That's no, not well. Yeah. Polyamory is now, yeah. Like because be, because their argument is, well, we know what makes sense and doesn't make sense. Right. It's like, well, no, we have foregone objectivity. We've foregone rationality. So we we don't know anymore what makes sense. And therefore, slowly and surely, yeah, we just we we descend into chaos. I think a starting point is to say that the Bible affirms the idea that God has yes. created yes. us male and female. And in Genesis one, when God makes uh, everything, including people, and he makes them male and female in his own image, he looks over everything that he's made mm -hmm. and he says It's good. It's good. Yeah. And that includes gender. That includes gendered people. So 
So then what we're immediately at odds with is taking issue with what God has said is good and saying, actually, for me, it's bad. And the Bible affirms over and over again that God is intimately involved in our creation, and not just on a macro level, but on a micro level, that that, uh, it is God who determines who we will be. And uh, and therefore, any conversation about, you know, I am born X, but I I feel as though I'm Y, is ultimately taking issue with who's the authority over me and on right. what grounds are they in authority. It's saying to God, "You said it's good, but actually, I'm saying I'm different. saying it's bad." I good. I was just going to say, there's so many things that come to mind because of how this you know gender is impacting generationally, our kids. Um, and then also, you know, Jimmy, I know you brought up to discuss, like, how do we approach and, uh, you know, people that are experiencing gender dysphoria. So I don't know if parenting is too much to get into as you look at how do you even coach and guide your kids in a culture that is just telling them you can be whatever you want to be. I mean, pointing I think, them to yeah, Jesus maybe, and the... Maybe the way to go is to say the Bible is unequivocal about uh, yeah. what the truth is in regards to gender and gender identity. We used to do a class sometimes on Wednesday nights here. Maybe you could to be do, do it at some point again, but uh, where we would talk about this. And one of the things that I would do in that class is just make sure that we say, okay, this is what this is what is clear and true, that, uh, that the Bible is clear that uh, gender is meant to be binary and that uh, I believe a, a person's gender and their biological sex are supposed to match. Um, I also believe that gender dysphoria is a real yeah, yeah. thing that people experience as a re- as a result of the fall, but that the biblical position is yeah. that gender is binary, male and female. Well, we should talk about that brokenness really quickly because there's an important point to be made. I mean, you know, people. I, I always use this example when I'm talking about this issue: is that uh, God made human beings to have five fingers on each hand to have thumbs. Right? Thumbs are pretty helpful. So my wife, Amy, was actually born without thumbs. So she has four fingers on each hand. She's never had thumbs. Uh, I can affirm two things. One, that God has made her. Mm-hmm. And second, that people are supposed to have thumbs. So when Amy is in the new heavens and new earth, she'll have five fingers on each hand. She'll have thumbs because that was God's design for people. However, sin is is has, is so powerful that it affects even genetics and our DNA yeah. so that eventually you have uh, babies who are born with any number of maladies, in Amy's case, uh, not having thumbs. So I don't have a problem with saying that in 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 God's design, the gender uh, of your physical body and your and and how you conceive yourself are supposed to be linked. That boys would naturally think of themselves as boys, and, and girls would naturally think of themselves as girls. And that hey, like all things, that's broken. The difficulty with that is, and, and I've done a great deal of research in, in this area, so I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn. This is based on a great deal of research. I, research. I don't pretend to be a doctor or a geneticist. But at present, try as we might, we cannot locate a biological cause or connection to gender dysphoria. There is absolutely no scientific evidence that there is any link in your anatomy between you experiencing, we've tried brain size, and maybe men who experience gender dysphoria have female sized brains, or maybe women have this chromosome or this trait, or we've, we've tried all these. There's no physical testing. So, what's fascinating here is in a culture where we're being told science is king, 
right? I drive down my neighborhood and I see signs that say, in this house, we believe science right. is real. And, you know, and all this. But this is one issue where the science is clearly telling us there is no physical link, which is why, huh. up until recently, gender dysphoria was understood as primarily a psychological condition. Now, that doesn't make, make it, doesn't it any dis- less right. damaging or any less difficult. But, but like any doctor would tell you, if you don't locate the appropriate cause, you, you, cannot, you, you cannot treat it. So that gender dysphoria has much more in common with something like anorexia, where a person is saying, I feel fat, and then reacting to that. And the way you deal with someone who's anorexic is not by coming around them and saying, you are fat. You are, you fat. are fat, yeah. right? It's coming around them and going, hey, I understand in, a, in an empathetic, sympathetic way. I you understand feel you way, feel you this way, that. and yeah. I'm not delegitimizing that, and I'm not, but we need to figure out how to speak truth into your feelings because you're going to harm yourself. Uh, and, and, and the science would tell us that because we cannot find any physical, biological connection so that it's not like not having thumbs, that 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 is not what it is like. Instead, it is more like a psychological condition, and, and my concern is, in so much as that is true, is we are skipping right past that yeah. as a culture, and instead saying to the person who has an eating disorder, metaphorically speaking, yeah, we agree with yourself, but you get to decide for yourself, and and then you hmm. can make very physical damaging changes. physical yeah. choices, and don't even get me started on saying to a child who experiences yeah. this psychological, of, of stepping into that at 12, 13, and saying... Well, if you experience this, it must be real, even though there's no scientific evidence. So it's just interesting that in this one area, we seem to be saying, I would call it anticipatory science. We are assuming that one day we will find a physical link and and, and, Hmm. and, and, and want to act in accordance with that when there is no reason to think that that is true. In science, you don't assume an outcome. That's the opposite of the, the scientific method, yeah. I think uh, when Jimmy, when you were saying you know the Bible unequivocally you know speaks about this, I think as a parent, uh, that was one of the questions: How do we deal with our children if our mm-hmm. children are going through this? I think as a parent, you want to be start a step uh, kind of back from what the Bible says about gender and say, uh, "This is who God is. Yes. Yeah, God exactly. loves you." God cares for you. God sent His Son for you. So what and I want to trust Him. Yeah, what I would want to do is that's the yeah yeah that is the whole thing. And I've heard Zach say it uh, over and over again in different sermons. That the number one question for all of us is do you do, trust do I trust God? Him? Right? Do I trust that He loves me? He has proven that He loves me through Jesus. Do you do you trust God? Then then we go to God's word and we and say that what does work God begins say? the right. day you bring them home. Absolutely, from the yeah. This is something that that I'm very passionate about is that you infuse everything in your parenting with this is who you are, this is who God, God is. is, this is why you can trust Him. This is because if you begin the conversation about God's authority when your child says, "I think I'm a woman" or "I think I'm a man," you. Yep. It, you have, I mean, I don't want to be, God sailed. is gracious and good, but but that is the wrong time to start that kind. And if you think your teenager isn't going to see through that, like, hey, you've never cared about me right. surrendering my life to God before now, and all of a sudden when it comes to this issue, I mean, my goodness, you have a whole host of problems on your hand. Your job as a parent, I really believe this, from day one is to build the resume of God, build the yep. reputation of God in the lives of your children so that they make a choice, a loving, willful, joyful choice to trust Him. 
even with before everything. they know yep. what, what he's going to ask of them or what. That is your job. Yeah, and for all of us, the greater the resume of God and the more real mm-hmm. the resume of God, uh, the more likely we are to trust him when it's hard to trust him. Yeah. And that's true of any in any relationship. Like I trust my wife more than anybody because she has built you know, 40 yeah. years of yeah. that worthiness. You know, God has done that, so I want to trust him. So one thing I wanted to think about together is, uh, you know, this has become a pretty significant cultural issue. And in holding the position that we just discussed over the last few minutes uh, can bring a lot of difficulty. So how do we as Christians navigate that cultural dynamic of needing to be out in the marketplace, but then also, you know, we, we have clear speaking from, from Scripture on what what's true about gender and gender identity. Yeah, I mean, one is, one is being clear on the platform God has and hasn't given you, right? So, so it's our job to get on a podcast and say, these things are true, right? Uh, regardless of the consequences, it's our job. That, that's our job as we spiritually lead a group of people. Uh, if you work at a company and they have an initiative in this direction, I, uh, unless it is particularly your job to speak against it, I would caution you yeah. on, on on doing that. It, it, it's not uh, you know any more than you'd walk up and down the halls telling everybody who works there who you're voting for for president. That would be outside the bounds of of your of your job. So, um, but I do think we as Christians have to pay attention to the devolving logic of our culture mm-hmm. and make sure it doesn't invade our homes. You, you know, I'm a big believer in go back to parenting for a second. You know, on, on the television shows that are are being watched in your home, and don't just give your your child an electronic device. And, and when you look into shows or, or mu- music or movies, don't just look. Do they say bad words? Do right. they like what is the overarching? What is the concept, concept that yeah. is being taught? What is it at odds with with what God says? Because man, those things are powerful. And I think the same is true for us as adults of just curating. We're responsible to curate the content in our own lives to hold fast to the truth in our own lives, and in so much as a part of what God has put before us to do is speaking into these things, we should speak into them. In so much as it isn't, you know, it's entirely possible to lose your job, not for believing in biblical truth and standing up for it, but just for rubbing people's faces in it. So I think you have to be wise. Yeah, yeah and I think, too, I think we made a mistake um, historically with sexuality um, by coming off like we didn't care, like we were... We we just cared what was right and what was wrong, and we condemned, and we were seen as bigots and all that. So I think we should be compassionate. You know what what we've been saying that the world is broken. There's a brokenness there, affirming who God is, what God, how God feels about people, and to build into uh, kind of our own hearts that our identity, where, where our identity is found, it's not found in our sexuality or, or how yep. what we feel yeah. we are. Uh, if I feel like a failure, that's not my identity. My identity is found in Christ, uh, with God in Christ because of what Jesus did. Yeah, and well, it's kind of like saying that salvation from the brokenness of our world doesn't come through self-actualization. Right. It comes through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And we call people not to become the more most full version of themselves by looking inwardly, but, by, but to abandon looking inwardly, to look to Christ and allow Him to form them into the fullest version of themselves. Well, people that are transgender or experienced gender dysphoria are made in the image of God right. and they are loved by God. And I think is in, I know raising my own kids, it's taught me a lot of 
thinking about how they need to approach people and they need to love them and they need to, they, you know, a question I often ask, I'm like, man, does that person know Jesus? Well, first and foremost, there's no change that a person could be even challenging themselves in and who they trust if they don't know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. So I think just encouraging us as Christians to love well first and yeah. not to try and just stand on a soapbox because it's not going to accomplish a lot. Yeah, and, and the primary issue, and this is what you have already said, but just to echo it, that the primary issue in the life of a, a transgender yeah. person is where their status with God, right. where do they stand with God in light of Jesus? It is not yeah. the gender dysphoria that they experience. experience. And, you know, I think there's some brokenness in this world that you can internalize and keep hidden from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And there's other brokenness that uh, you wear on your sleeve, you know, um, physically or or socially. And, and I think the danger is always to make the latter group seem worse mm-hmm. because it's ever present, right? And, yeah. and I think we all have to reckon with the fact that if all of our sins and brokenness were known, if they were public, uh, people would have a, a lot harder time accepting us. Yeah. And we need to love from that place of sinner to sinner saying, uh, I too once tried to chase down my my self-understanding and I found it empty. Instead, I have found hope in, in abandoning my understanding and, and leaning on on Christ. Maybe it would be good to wrap up by saying, what, what do you do if you have a child who is saying, I mean, the, the, the starting point I would say is uh, you should have your child meet with a counselor that, that you trust, a counselor who's going to speak truth into their lives, yeah. who, who's a counselor whose baseline assumption is what God has said is good is good, and uh, and give your child a space, not reacting with anger or yeah. reacting with suppression, but in saying, hey, I understand uh, there's some things going on in your head that don't make a lot of sense, and let's find some help for yeah. you to work through that. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.